0: This is the Happy Are You Poor? podcast, discussing topics related to radical Christian community. This is your host, Malcolm Schlenderfritz. My guest today is again Peter Land. Hi, Peter. Glad to have you on again.
1: Hey, Malcolm. It's great to join you again. This
0: is the third of our series on Pope Francis's Let Us Dream. Uh, we're still discussing topics from the first chapter of the book. And uh, to start off, I wanted to talk about uh, the what Pope Francis calls the indifference that can keep us from seeing the plight of others clearly. Uh, On page 18, he says, let's consider a big obstacle to change. And he goes on to talk about a photography exhibit that he saw in Rome, where um, there's a photo of a richly dressed woman who is ignoring... Um, a poor woman who's sitting there begging outside of an expensive restaurant. He talks about how uh, he says that in um, in both in Italy and in Argentina they have sayings that are basically that they, they would they would be equivalent to saying so what in English. Um, that he says that some of them think that you need a healthy dose of so whatism to get through life, otherwise you'll be too affected by other people's problems. He says, it's not at all the Christian attitude, um, because God is never indifferent. We're called to be like God, and God is never indifferent to any of us.
1: Yeah. Um, so I think that first paragraph on page eighteen, uh, towards the bottom, let's consider a big obstacle to change: the existential myopia that allows us to defensively allows us defensively to select what we see. Existential myopia is always about holding on to something we're afraid to let go of. COVID has unmasked the other pandemic, the virus of indifference, which is the result of constantly looking away, telling ourselves that because there is no immediate or magic solution, it is better not to feel anything. So I think that really captures quite a bit um, about our... The, the struggle in the world today, you know, our culture, existential myopia and this defensively selecting what we want to see. On one hand, I think about technology, how much that allows us to defensively select and to simply um, expose ourselves to things that either support our worldview, support our viewpoints, support our interests and our desires and allows us to ignore or remove from our reality things that are difficult to look at Um, because our world's becoming more and more uh, technologically oriented. We have some more control over what we allow to affect us. And so it's, it's unmasking, as he says, this virus of indifference and in a way this kind of fear and selfishness, you know, it's like they kind of go hand in hand. The more um, self-oriented we are, or self-seeking we are, I think the more we fear things that come from outside, things that may challenge our own comfort, our own status quo, our own really our own insecurity. And so we kind of harden ourselves to things that are uncomfortable to look at. But that's the that's the title of this chapter that we're going through is a time to see. And I think that is so important. He talks about widening our gaze so that we can take in um, all these human dramas, you know, that we can allow ourselves to be impacted by the blows in the world, the blows that come to us from people who are suffering and struggling um, just in our own neighborhood and across the world that media is allowing us to see. Um, we'll probably cover a little bit of the media a little bit later on, but, um, I think, I think that is, this is a very important insight. Like before we can have any authentic change, we need to take the time to see, we need to allow ourselves to reflect on what's happening in the world around us and allow ourselves to take it in you know, not just walk by it. Like like you mentioned that um, photograph and the exhibition in Rome um, where the woman uh, who's well-dressed and definitely among the upper class walking past a poor person on the road whose hands are stretched out to receive some kind of alms. Um, it's, it's kind of like a microcosm of the world. And how easily we allow ourselves in our, in our wealth, wealth and comfort to walk by that which is difficult to look at, and not allow our, our heart to be impacted. And so I think the Pope is really challenging us. Like before we just act, before we try to come up with plans or programs to, to make any change, we need to allow ourselves to be impacted, impacted by the world around us, and, and in particular, um, the suffering, the suffering in the world.
0: You know, I was just talking with some friends about how common it is in current America for people to live, you know, very comfortable, very wealthy lives and not to not to give to the poor. Even, you know, people who are you know, like they seem like good people, they go to church and all this—and they may even give some of their money. But as the gospel says, you know, if you're not not giving out of your need, uh, if you're just giving out of your surplus, that isn't blessed by God. And um, one one of the people I was talking to, he said that he'd grown up, uh, you know, fairly well-to-do. And no one had ever really preached gospel poverty to him or, or con- sacrificial concern for others. But he knows, looking back, that he didn't want to see uh, those around him who were in need. He didn't want to consider it because... Deep down, I mean, like, again, this is what Heinz said, but deep down, he now realizes he didn't want to see um, the needs of others because, um, yeah, then he might have to do something about it. It might not be comfortable. It might, at, at very least, it might make him feel uncomfortable. And then also, interestingly, we we're just reading um, one of the oldest uh, Christian writings there is after the New Testament, the Shepherd of Hermas. And... Uh, they're talking about different categories of people who are imperfect yet, who haven't fully um, lived out the gospel. And one of them was uh, they were talking about the rich who fear to join the church because then they might be asked to give their money to the church to help the poor. Um, And I I thought it was interesting that, you know, all this way back, back when uh, Shepherd of Hermas is probably written between 150 and 200. So early, early days yet for the church. And already they're looking at the fact that, you know, for the rich, um, this is an uncomfortable message. They don't want to see the gospel message. They don't want to see those around them because of what they might be required to do. And, that, and that's alarming sometimes.
1: Yeah, Pope Francis continues to um, elaborate on the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Um, he speaks about that in one of his encyclicals and here he repeats it in this book. Um, but he talks about the indifference of the rich man who didn't care about the plight of Lazarus, the poor man who sat at his doorstep day after day, but that the rich man never took the time to really look at him. You know, he passed him by and perhaps, um, giving himself excuses, that uh, about his current condition. I think this is where spending time plays a huge role. Is like, in order for us to be impacted, we have to spend time on some level with those who are who who need our support, who need our help. We can't. I mean, we can't. Some people end up just, you know, giving a few dollars, and maybe that's better than nothing. But I think more than anything else, human beings long. To be looked at, to be gazed upon, to be known and recognized, and I think that's that's the great tragedy of so many poor in our world, is that maybe in their current situation they are finding their material needs, but they're it's almost like they're they're living in this ghost-like condition, in which the world doesn't really see them. You know, they, it's almost like they're invisible people, because they're a burden. They appear to be a burden to others in our comfort and our wealth. And, you know, he, Pope Francis contrasts this attitude of the world that is growing, um, that is becoming more normal, to the attitude of the Lord and the attitude of that should be ours as human and especially as Christians, but that God is never indifferent. The essence of God is mercy, which is not just seeing and being moved, but responding with action. God knows Heals and comes running out to look for us. He doesn't just wait. Whenever in the world you have a response that is immediate, close, warm, and concerned, offering a response, that's where God's Spirit is present. But indifference blocks the Spirit by closing us to the possibilities that God is waiting to offer us. Possibilities that overflow our mental schemes and categories. That to me, you know, this is where he's getting into this important element of discernment, which he'll begin to elaborate on in the pages to follow. But that um, in our in our indifference, what we really are doing, we're not just blocking out the people around us that challenge our status quo and our comfort, but we are really blocking out the movement of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, the movement of God. We we harden ourselves to to being impacted and moved by his love, to respond in love. It, it, it really, um, Pope Francis is, is revealing how, how we're, we're so relational by nature. We're relational to God. And in order to really respond with mercy, to respond with heartfelt love and compassion, we need to allow ourselves to receive from God. We need to be open to his, his movements, his thoughts, that which he wants to inspire in us. Um, but, but indifference kind of cuts, us out, cuts ourselves off. And as he says, it blocks the chance of discernment. And it closes off the new things that God is offering to us. So we remain stuck in our own little narrow worldview, in which people are either a, a, just a problem, like we, we, we can't see beyond our limited perspective, our limited ideology. Um, and, and that's where Pope Francis is inviting us to, to allow ourselves to kind of let go of our own ideas and perspectives in order to become aware of A, what we're thinking, and B, of perhaps what God is thinking, and, and, and then C, just, of course, the world around us. I, I think this is a, a huge theme in, in this chapter, a time to see, you know, we have to become, we have to cultivate an awareness an awareness of self, an awareness of surroundings, an awareness of God, ultimately.
0: Yes, because if we're just living, you know, in our heads, <clears throat> we'll be distracted. We won't see. Um, it, it's amazing to me how difficult it can even be. I think I, I seem to recall mentioning in some earlier episode in some other context that it can be difficult even if you just decide, I'm just going to walk around the block and just see things, you know, like without without your mind going crazy, starting to think either about unrelated things, but even more interestingly, it starts to think about what you're seeing and starts to categorize, to analyze if there's something wrong, to think about solutions. And of course, those are all good, important um, aspects of the human mental capacity. But that first you have to see, and that you can be so, um, the the mind can be so busy in trying to think about what it's seeing that it isn't really seeing what's actually there. And then, you know, thinking about this, like we're supposed to be, have a caring heart for others, a warm uh, sympathy and care for them. And that we're supposed to, because we're supposed to be like God, Pope Francis says that God cares for us. And therefore we're to care for one another. We're to be like God. And I think that one of the reasons that, People, people often don't have the right kind of care and sympathy for the marginalized, for those who seem like they're failures in life, is actually because uh, they have a false view of God. If we don't see God as a caring, merciful, compassionate God who loves each of us individually, then it's very unlikely we're going to manifest uh, that spirit towards others. Uh, if we see God as a hard taskmaster who is going to Harshly apply certain rules of performance at the end of life and say, like, you measure up, you don't. Well, then we're going to do the same thing to others. We're going to say, this person measures up, that person doesn't. And in doing so, we will actually be considering ourselves virtuous. Um, We'll be saying, well, that person messed up. That person isn't right. That person uh, can be written off because, uh, you know, I remember someone, some Christian, terribly saying, well, like, if God, you know, like, God has no problem with with uh, writing people off. Therefore, like, you know, don't be worried about it. And to realize that in the end, none of us have it all together before God. That, you know, like, there, there, in one sense, there's not much difference between us ordinary, devout Christians and some terrifically bad criminal. You know, like in the human standpoint, there's these distinctions. From God's standpoint, we're all creatures who fall short of getting into heaven. And you know, like, it's pointless to argue how far short we fall like well that guy's 10 miles short i'm only 2 feet short it's like whatever the case is none of us can achieve our goal by ourselves without the mercy of god without the repeated mercy of god who keeps caring even when we don't care about him who keeps offering us chances even when we don't take them and and that's the that's the vision of god that has to inspire our relationship to others. Otherwise, if, if we don't start from that realization that one has received mercy, one won't give. And of course, it, it goes the other way. You know, like think about the the uh, servant who's called in the, in the in the gospel parable, who's called before his master with an enormous debt, it's forgiven, then he won't go out and forgive. But the reason it's so bad that he won't forgive his fellow servant, the small debt, is be, just because he was forgiven for such a big one. That, that then we have to, like, it's necessary then to go and, and give that mercy to those around us.
1: Yeah, these are great points, Malcolm. I think of children, you know, uh, as children, children are often the product of their parents. You know, they they repeat and relate the experience they have received in their home from their parents for better or for worse. And if they haven't received Love and mercy from their parents in the home, or from any adult figure. How will they be able to to show that? You know, in so many ways, we we come into this world um, somewhat captive to our background, our experience, the the world we're born into, and and that makes us like, in hindsight, and in reflecting on that, like, you know, no better than anybody else, like. If we were born into the same situation as another person, we probably wouldn't fare any better. You know, like God gives, and, and, and this is all part of God's mysterious plan, but some people are born into um, a, a more grace-filled environment in which their souls can can grow and develop um, in accordance with his love and mercy. And some are, you know, it's it's a more difficult situation. But St. Paul says, and this is very beautiful, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So in those more difficult um, environments, people, if they're exposed to God's grace and mercy, or if they, um, through him, come to him, they can be impacted uh, and, and become more filled with grace and mercy than perhaps a devout Christian who, who kind of grew up in a, a Christian household. So it does. It really points out, like, we're all in need of God's mercy. You know, no one is inherently better. Everything that we have, everything that we are, is a grace from God, and we are responsible for cooperating with that grace. But we, um, but a lot of people are depending on our cooperation to experience the mercy of God. I mean, I think that's key. Is like we can look around at the world and see failures, but but really, at the end of the day, all we're in control of is is our own response to God's grace and love, and. And I think as we become more aware of ourselves and more aware of the ways in which we um, block out God's grace, the more the, the tendencies we have to be selfish, to, to choose ourselves over other people, I think we'll realize more and more that, uh, wow, we need God no matter what state we're in, no matter how holy of a community we're, we're a part of. We all need God's grace. So I, I, you know, and you mentioned this, um, I really liked how you mentioned just going for a walk. You know, uh, a couple of ideas came to me was one is that, you know, I see so many people in the world, Malcolm, who are really so much in their heads that they they don't recognize the world at all around them. And that's really, um, I think the more that happens and the more that becomes solidified, that turns into really a mental disorder or a mental illness. They're They're kind of caught in this this continual mental stream of thought that really doesn't reflect the world around them. And I think for us, this tendency is growing, you know, it's very much growing in the world of like just being, our our first and foremost reality is that of our thoughts and rather of, of the experience of the world around us mediated through our senses. And I know in my life, as I began to go through a process of conversion, I found going for walks to be such a helpful spiritual exercise, and I really want to re- recommend it to everyone, simply going for a walk without an agenda, without a plan, without an audiobook, book or, um, you know, without anything in particular, but really just going um, with an openness of heart to experience the world as you walk. And one thing that I found as I did that was I, I began to wonder at the world around me. Like it is quite beautiful. It's incredible, actually, when you begin to gaze at a tree or at the sky or at birds or other animals and see their uniqueness, um, their beauty, their gracefulness, um, the trees, the intricacy of a tree. You know, I think we can be so impacted by the world around us. We can experience a peace and a calm in this state of awareness that allows the world in. I think there's something to be learned from like a, a practice of mindfulness. That that term has almost taken on like a a very negative connotation in, in like Catholic among Catholic people because it's kind of just um, explicitly associated with Eastern religion. But mindfulness and, and awareness, like and meditation, I mean these, these can be very natural human tendencies of just learning to become aware of ourselves. Of our breathing, you know, like the beauty of the human body that we inhabit, the the touch of our feet on the ground, you know, the the pulsing of our of our blood and the beating of our heart, you know, it's like living in this mystery, and becoming aware of it can really, I think, openness open us up to the presence of God and the presence of the world around us. Like I think we need to start somewhere, and it's a place to start.
0: I I agree. It's been really helpful for me too that practice of walking and trying as best as one can to simply be open to reality, the reality of of yourself there, but not the reality of yourself, you know, like thinking about yourself and the, and the other things around you, trying to be open and then just trying to be ready if the Lord is able to speak. But unless, you know, like you're talking about how, yes, some Catholics would mock the idea of mindfulness, um, but obviously if one is not Recollected, you know, like that's maybe the more typical Catholic, where it wasn't recollected. One isn't kind of collected one's scattered um, self together, and isn't looking then outwards. How is one ever going to hear the Lord if one is is looking inwards or following all these crazy thoughts all over the place? One won't be able to hear. the The first step is is to be still. It's like in that Old Testament story where um, the uh, Elijah is in the cave and there's a whirlwind and an earthquake and a devouring fire, all kinds of, of distractions, you could say. And God isn't there in any of them. And then there's this gentle wind and he knows that there's God. And, and later on um, in chapter two of the book, this this book, of course, is, is very deeply Ignatian, being written by Pope Francis, who is a Jesuit a follower of St. Ignatius. And He's going to talk a lot more about this discernment of of the spirits of things in chapter two. But yeah, to go back to this idea of just just going and, and walking out. Um, I remember hearing about uh, one of the early desert fathers and a, a young monk came to him. And he was wondering, the young monk was saying like he didn't seem to be getting anything out of his time in the desert. Uh, he's thinking maybe he should just go back to society. What should he do? Should he say some special prayers Maybe. And the the wise desert father said, "No, I'm not going to tell you to to um, you know, say any say any prayers. I think maybe I think he said something like, you know, like in the morning, say you know, here I am, Lord, or so, some simple prayer like that. But like once a day, you'd say some simple prayer. But then he said, just go and sit in your cell, and when you get hungry, eat, and when you get thirsty, drink, and when you get tired, go to sleep, and and do that for, for a week." And the young monk was like, I don't know. This sounds like a crazy idea. I thought he'd give me some special prayers, you know, or something else to do that would that would fix this problem. So he went to another desert father and he said, well, you know, like I'd say the same thing. I'd say go back to your cell and just sit there in your cell. And when you get hungry, eat. And when you get thirsty, drink. And when you get tired, go to sleep. Do that for a week. And, and the point of the story is that the first step, is to kind of clear everything away and to to realize who one is and who one is, is a radically dependent being, dependent on God, but also like through having to eat and drink and sleep, one comes to realize that, um, you know, that's kind of like life stripped down to its fundamentals, down to kind of like the bare, nitty gritty level. And at that level, one is a dependent uh, being. And from there, then one can advance in the spiritual life. But unless one has that kind of grip on reality, um, no, one one can't go farther. And and two, I thought it was interesting what you brought up about how you said that other people have to experience God's mercy through us, because uh, St. John Paul II said that the purpose of the church is to make present God's love for the world. That's, That's our job, both as individuals and as a group. That, in a sense, is the only reason that Christ founded a church, that he is... Uh, commissioned us to be that um, that presence, and yeah, that uh, we can't, but we can't do it unless we first have that that awareness of the Lord. And that's a, a good opening to this topic on page twenty-two of chapter one. He talks about the media, which is of course a big part of our current experience of reality, or in some cases, our lack of experience of reality. And he talks about both the good and the bad. He says, Journalists have been had a key role in helping us to make sense of what was happening, to balance and assess different accounts and opinions. The best reporters took us to the margin, showed us what was happening there, and made us care. He says, This is journalism at its most noble. But, and then a little further on, he goes on to say, But the media also had their pathologies disinformation, defamation and a fascination with scandal. Some media are caught up in the post-truth culture where facts matter, much less than impact, seizing narratives as a way to wield power. The most corrupt media are those that pander to their readers and viewers, twisting the facts to suit their prejudices and fears. So, and, and then he gives some specific examples in, in recent times of how the media can, can warp uh, perceptions instead of forming them. So, like, the saying, like, the role of the journalist is a noble thing because we can't, none of us can experience everything for ourselves. We have to hear, we have to learn from those who are in other circumstances who are better placed to, to present uh, the world parts of the world that we would never see to us. But if that media is um, tied into just feeding us what we want to hear uh, increasing our divisions among one of us. That's, thats a sad thing. That divisions are profitable, and that's why so much media is designed to stoke it. Then it will—it will be another kind of block. Even if we're, we ourselves are not indifferent to the world, with that type of media in the way, we won't—we um, won't be able to see clearly. And that's—I uh, was had an interesting conversation with some people about how. One of the problems in today's world is that everything is performative. He talks about how like, the facts stop mattering so much, it's it's kind of the spin, it's the narrative. And so in, in what we do, we're often living our lives as players in this kind of virtual reality, trying to score points off one another. We're not doing anything constructive. Instead, we're just trying to act out these different images. We think, oh, this will... This will really show the other guys if I say this. This will really prove to my tribe that I'm one of them. And and when a world gets stuck in that um, rut of the virtual performative politics, performative news media, then we can't have the clear seeing that this chapter is calling us to have.
1: Yeah, it makes me think of Facebook, Malcolm, and... um the kind of images that we are creating for ourselves and promoting to the world, the many friends and likes we are receiving and this like virtual non-reality that we're all caught up in um, that we're kind of selectively presenting to the world that's not based on our reality. Um, And that's really about kind of feeding our egos and um, building our self-image and I think media falls into this trap. You know, how many viewers do we get? Um, how much sensationalism can we generate? You know, how much, whatever it is, you know, it's it seems to be very much a game and not reality at times. And this might be um, just as a side thought, like a project for, for Happy Are You Poor? But, um, you know, maybe we can invite people to share um, like authentic, media outlets that they've been exposed to, that they're aware of that are very, that would be really helpful for everybody else to be aware of, you know, um, apart from the major news media outlets. Because I think that's one of the difficulties right now is if you're not exposed to um, alternative outlets and alternative views, how do you get to that point? Um, Do you just start searching on your own? I think it can be difficult to find, Right now, if we're in kind of still in somewhat isolation, and you know, not connecting with a wide circle of people beyond our own kind of um, demographic, how do we how do we get beyond like the major narratives that are being presented to us? I know I, I was blessed in college, and um, you know that there was a lot of sources, a lot of programs, a lot of perspectives being presented to us as college students that we could take advantage of. And one thing I noticed was that, you know, you would have your conservative crowd, you'd have your liberal crowd. I mean, they would be like the two basic, not to reduce everything to that, but the two basic groups that would generally attend events that spoke to their own viewpoint. And what I found to be really valuable was to attend everything that seemed to appeal to me and to go to both sides and and even go beyond both sides in order to be exposed to, um, to as many viewpoints as I, as I could, in order to, to make um, kind of impartial decisions on things that I was being faced with. So, I think for me, what was helpful was be, just learning to be aware. Again, we were talking about this earlier, and I just want to go back to this idea of uh, discernment. One of the um, practices that Pope Francis encourages us to practice here is like as we slow down. As we settle down, as we become more silent within and without, and become and, and, and cultivate a greater awareness of the world around us, and begin to see, we begin to ask questions and not offer answers. So like for example, you know you see somebody poor and just say, "Oh, that person's poor because of this. Rather, Pope Francis is encouraging us to be open to the questions that come to us from God as we allow ourselves to be impacted by that reality. He says, how do we respond? What can I do? How can I help? What is God asking of me at this this time? You know, he's saying in asking these questions, and not rhetorically, but silently, with attentive hearts, we open ourselves to the action of the Spirit. And through the Spirit, we can start to discern new possibilities, at least in the little things that surround us or that we do each day. I think that is so valuable, Malcolm, is that, you know, we have to start with little things, you know, little habits that need to be broken. I know for me, one of the habits was um, just leaving leaving things behind, you know, like this is in college, for example, like just cleaning up after myself. You know, I began to be aware that like, you know, we're just leaving dishes in the sink and no one's cleaning up. Like, okay, I don't need to just follow this route. You know, I, I can change the culture here and begin to do dishes. And as I began to respond and do dishes, it, I I think, and others responded as well. And it kind of created a culture of like, we're living in this place together. Let's be respectful and careful to keep this place clean and, and neat for everyone here because what we do impacts everyone. So as we commit to small things, we, we begin to imagine another way of living together and of serving our fellow beloved creatures. These are quotes from Pope Francis. And we can, be, we can begin to dream of real change. So I think that's, this is so important to, the, to this process of discernment is beginning to see new possibilities and changes in our everyday. Like we all have, there's, there's things in our life and things in the places we live that require a new engagement. Um, that can be better done, you know. So sometimes I think we're we can easily focus on the bigger questions, even in these podcasts. But it's so important to start small, and something grows from that. That those small commitments to change, um, you know, as Pope Francis says, we know we we don't have all the answers ready and neatly packaged, but we can trust in the Lord that He will open for us doors that we had no idea were there. And even though we might hesitate, faced with changes, faced with suffering and engaging things that are outside our comfort zone, he says it's okay to tremble in the midst of change. Even fear of change can be a sign of the Holy Spirit. But being inadequate to the task, at the same time being called to it, you know, as we we slow down, He's saying the, the Lord, if it's coming from him, he will reassure us that he is asking of us to engage in a new way, asking us to follow him. So I, 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 there's this term he, he, it took me some time to think about, but he talks about this overflow. When we face choices and contradictions, asking what God's will is opens us to unexpected possibilities. And so I think what's key here is not having answers, but waiting upon God he talks so much, so much about discernment as like waiting upon God for answers and, and not just like acting immediately. Um, he says, resisting the urge to seek the apparent relief of an immediate decision, but instead be willing to hold different options before the Lord, waiting on that overflow. So there are options before us as we face the challenges in our life, the challenges in the, word around, the world around us, but that even those options might not be all the answers before us. And we can hold those options in prayer. We can hold those options before the Lord and, and perhaps in conversation with other peoples. And, and as we do new ideas, new possibilities might emerge. He says, this is called the discernment of spirits. It involves learning what is of God and what is seeking to frustrate his will. What is clear? closing us off to new possibilities and keeps us, you know, stuck within our own framework over time in prayer and in patience in dialogue with others, we can reach solutions, which is not a compromise, but something else altogether. So I just, I think this idea of discernment really ought to um, help guide our, our conversation going forward, you know, is that we need to be discerning as Christians um, in conversation with God and with with each other you know with with trusted voices in our own lives and and resisting the urge to act immediately or to or, or to make decisions or to make judgments on a particular situation.
0: Yes, I think that that's really key is to to realize that we don't have all the answers and and that unfortunately, that's one of the ways that the media can go wrong. Um, partisan uh, media can give you the idea that even if you don't have all the answers, your group or tribe has all the answers, right? And the other guys are not just wrong, but they're just totally stupid and have nothing, nothing to say that, that there's just us. And then, and then all the stupid people, all the bad people, which is a terrible, terrible thing to happen because not, not only is it, is it unlikely that your answer is completely right on any given topic. And the other guys is absolutely 100% wrong with nothing to be said for it. But, even more, the idea that there are only two options, uh, two answers to any given question is something that the media, unfortunately, can can give people this idea. There's like any issue. It's like there's this issue. There's that issue. I mean, it's, it's really a result of our two-party system. that There's only two political parties that have any shot at actually winning elections. And since everything has become political in today's world and everything then feeds into these elections, there are my guys' ideas, which are good, and the other guys' ideas, which are bad. But actually, probably there's like a zillion other ideas on any given topic. It's just that they don't happen to have the backing of a major political party and a bunch of media. So, you know, you talked about little habits, and I think it's important in everywhere in life to take small steps. And that's why um, for one thing on our our website here, we have uh, a post entitled 101 Ways to Change Your Life Right Now. Uh, mostly small. There are some bigger ones, but there's small things grouped by category. So if you haven't checked that out, you should do it. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of great stuff. And also, we're still taking suggestions uh, for that list. If you have good ideas, like for instance, I think I should probably put on there taking a daily walk with yes. ideas. That's that's a great idea to add to the list. So then when when dealing with the media, two little um, habits that I think would help a lot, whatever kind of media you're reading, is to, to break that idea that there's only two um, two options, one totally right and the other totally wrong. And and to be, if if a certain uh, personality in the media or a certain, uh, especially if a certain publication as a whole is presenting the world in that way, to be skeptical of what they say, because that's probably not, like uh, you know, if, if like on a particular issue, it might be the case, but if across all the issues, they are presenting everything as if it was really clear cut like that, it might be a good sign to be careful. But the other one, it goes a little deeper and it's had a big impact on me is that when you're reading a news story about something, especially if it's coming through social media or if it's being presented in a very emotional way, to actually read whatever source document it is that they're talking about, um, To if there's a quote being presented, to go find that quote in context in the original source. And that's amazing. You know, like The, the internet and the media world can be used for so much ill. But it's easier than ever now to verify things. Um, I know that for me, a big turning point in my um, spiritual and intellectual life was when, um, after reading lots of media reactions to Pope Francis's encyclical Laudato Si, um, a book club of mine said, we're going to actually read through the whole thing. So I sat down with it and read it. And what I found was something very different than I would have got if I had depended on uh, my media sources at the time. And and since then, there have been many moments in my life where my perspe- perspective on an issue was changed because I took the trouble to, um, you know, look up a source, and and really dig into it. You know, like even let's even imagine that the journalist involved is is doing a good job presenting it. In context, it will always be different. Like that, that our our interaction with the world should be primarily through, you know. Like, Primarily, of course, initially through reality itself that we can directly experience. But when we go beyond that, because we have to, you know, we all read books and and, and you know, we, we can't just confine ourselves to the things we can actually see. But so in this world of things we can't see, our engagement should be primarily with the actual sources themselves. If someone gave a speech, what did the, per- the, like, the whole thing, what did the person actually say? If so they're talking about a book, what does the book actually say for itself? And, and these sort of things. And and it will give you the ability to avoid being taken in, first of all, by just a misuse of quotations. But also, I think that there's a lot of people who just, um, they, they, like, they, they, the media gives them the idea that they know all about something. When really they don't, because they haven't actually read the initial, like, and this is even assuming that the media is doing a good job. They don't, haven't actually interacted with the original source, and therefore they don't really know about it. But they can easily like imagine that they do. And I found myself falling into that when I don't bother to go and actually do the hard work of digging out whatever it was, the original. So those are just two little habits, I think, that can help us to you know, accept the good that Pope Francis says that the media can bring to our lives, greater awareness of things outside our perception, and avoid those traps of disinformation, of conflict and of actually a closed-mindedness to reality.
1: Yeah, I, I really appreciate that point, Malcolm, of um, just getting back to the sources, and that media hopefully can, can become that for us, um, you know, either whether it's reading original documents or people on the ground where things are actually happening and communicating in an unbiased way um, the experience of what of, of where they're at and the people that they're, the situation that they're covering. But it makes me think also of like, we can also become media for other people. You know, as we get in touch with original sources, we can share them and then point them in the direction of the primary source. Whether again, it's a document of Pope Francis, or it is um, media coverage of a particular issue or topic. Um, a a particular website or or documentaries I find are great, but it does take um, effort to really begin to dig and not just uh, allow ourselves news bites, you know, quick news bites from one to another. It's like, it's like cheap, quick food. You know, it's like fast food that gives us, you know, a quick, a quick energy, but lacks substance. And I think even more than just like these primary sources that we can, that we can engage in, like in our own places where we live, like, let's go to those, let's go to the ground where things are happening, you know, and as we experience reality, you know, as we experience the poor, or we have dialogue with others, we can then report on those things to others. And we can share our experience with others, our, our our firsthand experience, I, I think that is so key in the world today is like we need firsthand experience. That is what really I, I found in my life changed me much more than reading about it. And so while we can engage with reports and things that are happening all around the world, and I think there's an important place for that, I think what's what will be more impactful is actually getting out of um, kind of this technological zone of media and really engaging with reality in the world around us and then communicating that what we experience to other people and inviting them to experience it themselves. So we can become like an ambassador of, of truth, you know, a witness of something real. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, the, the apostles, they, they were sent, they experienced Christ and then they shared what they experienced. And they said, how can we not share what we have heard and seen? About our Lord Jesus Christ, and then just another point. You know, I was thinking of you know you were talking about this either or, or you. you I guess you didn't say that, but this kind of binary thinking um, that the media presents to us, and it made me think of this the the both and of Catholicism. You know, the richness of mystery, um, and even before I was, I was. You brought this up, and I just wanted to share it real quickly. But Blaise Pascal, um, a French mathematician and philosopher. Um, he, he uh, wrote down his thoughts and, and shared them. And, and one of them was all the evils in the world stem from man's inability to sit in his room and be still. And uh, That's kind of a famous quote, but I think it's really worth reflecting on. So I, I think on one hand, we're, we're being, as we're talking, Malcolm, we're, 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 we're realizing this theme of like the need to be still and quiet so that our souls can take in more of, real, more of the reality around us. Because if we're, if we're constantly on like hyper thinking mode or, or engaging with some kind of entertainment or media, um, so much of reality is going to be blocked from us. But as, as we settle down and become slow, you know we can, we can experience God a little bit more, then we can experience the world. And then as Pope Francis encourages us to go out into the world Without ready-made answers, without an either-or thinking, you know that's why I love the the richness of Catholic theological thought. You know, it, it holds these things in tension. You know, faith and works, tradition and scripture. You know, uh, it's never like just an either-or, one or the other, black or white. We're living in a mystery, and even, and generally, like no one thing can can sum up any kind of answer. What, what's called for is a, a sense of humility before the mystery that we're involved in. And so it's kind of like a new way is being called for. And I think this is what, what's kind of exciting about the time we're living in, Malcolm. You know, like, wow, God's calling us to create new ways, you know, to, to trust in him, to, to walk out of this kind of comfortable virtual reality, to engage the world and to allow him to lead us like he led Abraham Somewhere in, um, in this first chapter, he talks about the prayers of the Jewish people, the Israelites, where they recount their history and they're owning their roots. And part of the, their prayer of gratitude begins with, a wandering Aramean was my ancestor. You know, and I, I think it's beautiful, you know, Abraham, a wandering man who trusted in God who followed him and and sojourned in the land that his descendants, he was told, were to inherit. And in a lot of ways, I think we're called to that same kind of pilgrim lifestyle, like not, like as we trust in the Lord and walk in faith, we can't stay attached to any one particular place, thought, ideology, like it's calling us forth onto the waters. You know, that beautiful song by um, Hillsong, Oceans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. God calls us out into the waters. Where, where our feet may fail. I mean, they will fail if we if we rely on our own strength. But only by faith can we continue to walk on the waters and God will lead us forth and, and open to us new horizons on the water that we never would have dreamed of. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about this. It's like, wow, like God will give us a new vision as we trust in him. A new vision for, even if it's just for our little neighborhood.
0: Yes, if we're too certain of things, of course, we like, it's a bad idea to go and start walking out on the water. There's nothing solid to hold on to. Um we're going to probably end up in trouble very quickly and that's you know like you see when Peter starts walking out on the water it's like you know I'm going to sink. This doesn't work. But that's that's what God is calling us to do to um to walk out in in trust without that without that yeah that clinging to the wrong kind of certainty I mean there's a good thing like you have to cling to the truth we have to cling to the lord and yet we also can't be too um too too uh hold too hard to our own certainties and that's another theme that's going to be developed a lot in in chapter 2 but I'll just bring up one point now from chapter 2 because you were talking about the both and nature of christianity that we don't pit truths against one another mm. I don't remember who it is, but someone said that it's the trap of small minds to pit two truths against one another. Well, in the beginning of chapter two, Pope Francis is saying the same thing. He's saying that if there's two truths that look like they're in contradiction with one another, that's a time for discernment. It's not a time to choose one of them. It's a time to sit with both of them and with God. And and he's talking about what the church is called to do as a whole, particularly. And there's a really good example of this in... The early debates with the Arian heresy. Um, before the Arian heresy, they had not; the church had not really defined the idea of the Trinity, which is so central to our faith. So, from the from the, uh, the gospel revelation, the experience of Christ, they had three truths that they knew they had to hold on to: that God is one, that the Father is God, and that Jesus is God. So, those are the three; like, they were the tradition. Those are the three; you know, like those were three key. Points of the Christian faith, and you immediately putting those three truths together, you can see like from a from a basic logical perspective that you've got yourself a problem. And Arianism happened when Arius, who was a a priest of Alexandria in Egypt, got up and said, "Well, actually, like you know, God is one; the Father is God. Therefore, Jesus is not God. He is just he's a created being, a very great and glorious uh, created being." but still just a, a created being because otherwise you can't say God is one. And, and of course, it, it ramified out from there. Political things got involved, by the way, which, of course, as always, so like here we see the same de- uh, dilemma. Different political factions ended up backing the Aryans and the Orthodox, as, as they would eventually become to be known, the, the church that was still holding what had been handed down. And the political backing of the different factions, of course, made it almost impossible to um, come to a deeper understanding. And the way wasn't the Arian way of saying, well, these truths don't fit, we'll throw them out. Through the councils, through discernment, through much um, wrestling with the ideas over the next 50 years, and through the greatest crisis the church has probably ever known, the church came to the formulation of what was going to begin to be the whole... um, theological tradition of the Trinity and of the incarnation of Christ who is both God and man. And again, that, that, that stressing that, that by, it was only by keeping those two seemingly contradictory ideas, but like they knew they were both true. They'd both been handed down, um, handed down from the apostles who had, who had known the Lord. And so they were able to come up with an idea that of course is not actually in the Bible. You won't find the Trinity anywhere, but it was a development of, what was there a fruitful development that so much later theology has been based on whereas the arian way which was which was arrogant which was self assured which was willing to um wall off the possibility of what god was trying to reveal that way was not was not fruitful that way died out and that way would have if it had been allowed to if if god had not uh, intervened through the church to destroy that way would have destroyed the church. And we see this, the same thing playing out um, over and over again in the church. There's times of crisis and oftentimes the two factions involved um, can close themselves off. And, and whenever they do that, um, whenever they break that unity and will not sit and allow that kind of discernment that Pope Francis is talking about to grow, um, the results are not fruitful. Whereas when, when they can take the tension between two ideas and develop it, a deeper truth emerges, and that's that's a, a key thing I think in understanding Pope Francis. Um, and you know, like in our next uh, episode, I hope we can we can talk more about uh, how he sees that because in, in the next chapter is a lot about uh, how to discern in in troubled and contentious times. Well,
1: I think that's a great um, kind of final closing thought. Malcolm, I did. I was just reflecting on this final one of this idea of memory and identity, which is something I I don't think we should just cross over, but maybe it is something we could follow up on next time too. Is this need, um, especially in our current day, to become grounded in our identity and our history as a people? I think, um, and and for us, I think this means like both here in america but also as members of the church you know what is the history of this nation what is the history of the church and how do we own this history become members of a pilgrim people you know that's on the move and acknowledge you know maybe failures in the past but also learn from them and 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 continue to try to build, you know, as, as the saying goes on the shoulders of giants. Like we have so many great examples, both here in America and in the church of, of models that can, that can guide us going forward. They're not the be all end all. Nothing can be the be all end all for us in terms of, um, um, a a blueprint or a, um, a model, but it can help guide us. It can help our discernment process. And I think, um, one of the challenges or one of the unfortunate realities is in America is we're more and more divorced from any kind of like contextual identity of ourselves. You know, where we came from, who we are. Um, so much of what's presented to us is kind of constructed, you know, this constructed identity of American, being American. But I think if we really try to delve into our roots of both America and the church um, and, and really kind of maybe recover some beautiful history. Some beautiful, I'm, I'm sorry, some beautiful traditions. You know, like I think tradition is such an important way to ground us in who we are. Tradition and ritual and, and kind of guide our daily life. Again, not to not to make the, um, the be all end all be traditions or rituals or any kind of habits that we practice. But they can help really um, dis- rediscover, you know, what we're a part of. And and kind of refocus our attention like towards where we're going, you know. I think that's one of the beautiful things about tradition is that it, it kind of um, keeps our perspective focused on the end goal, the um, you know God and 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 our our goals in this life, you know. So uh, it's, maybe without elaborating too much, um, just allow us to kind of reflect a little bit on. Uh, who we are, where we're coming from, where we're going, and that we're that we're a part of a family that transcends time and space. I think that is so important and Pope Francis really uh, highlights that you know this need to be to take ownership of who we are, to to think about generations that are to come, to kind of um, recover that which has gone before us and to not make the same mistakes to to kind of, Uh, glean all that is good from the past and, and build and work with it, build on it. Um, Not to just simply like start over, start anew. And um, I think that will really help guide this, this process of discernment.
0: Yes, I agree. And I, I think that would be a good, you know, starting point for the next episode because it is, it's a really important topic. How do we see who we are and in a sense, one cannot understand who one is except in one's relationship to others. And that'll have to include one's relationship to those gone before and one's responsibility to those to come after, both in the in the human sense and in the church, uh, which, again, Pope mm-hmm. Francis talks a lot about um, learning from the elderly, uh, reintegrating them into society. Currently, we have a society where people are largely broken into groups based on age, um, where each generation is not seen as intrinsically connected to the one before and he talks about how difficult how problematic that is for for many reasons but one of them being that yes uh, if we if we break that chain we lose something ourselves and yet the other hand we can see the danger of um idolizing the past or the traditions or what we have now you know not being open to the new things that Pope Francis is talking about. So, like, it's again, it's one of those ideas that seems to be a contradiction: how to uh, have a love and respect for the for the past and what we have now, but to be open to new things and not to be afraid to apologize for things that went wrong in the past. And and to many people, those seem like um, contradictory ideas here. But those are the the kinds of things we have to are going to have to discern our way through if we're going to dream, as Pope Francis does, of a better future. So thanks again so much, uh, Peter, for joining me. I look forward to our next conversation and to the listeners, uh, look for our next episode in two weeks' time. And we'd love to hear from you your thoughts about uh, this episode and about the
1: project. Thanks, Malcolm. You take care and have a blessed uh, rest of your week. You too. Thank you.